everyone. This is Father Michael Tremor here with another episode of The Normal Christian Life. Today we're going to talk about new wineskins. We're going to talk about the role of asceticism, the role of self-denial, and hopefully after hearing this we'll put maybe these more negative things or challenging things in the light. So we're recording this right before Lent and and uh, this year, and so we're hoping to really set. It's not exclusively about Lent, but we're hoping to put some of these Lenten practices in the into context of the the bigger picture, and and really help us see why we're doing them. So I know this is something we're all passionate about, but I know recently Joe has been particularly passionate about asceticism and how it connects to this idea of really making us new wineskin. So kind of pass it off to you, Joe, just to kind of set the tone and yeah, get us started here. Like Father Michael's saying, I'm just um, really passionate about helping reframe for people what these things are about. And especially in this season of Lent, this is a really good time for us to um, just be reminded of the big picture of why we do these things. And just the dynamics of grace in the midst of these practices. So I think there's some things that you could probably guess we're not going to say. Obviously, we're not um, earning our way to holiness. We're not um, beating our bodies into subjection in some kind of brutal way or some, some way that's opposed to our physical creation, right? But there's really a very positive and beautiful reason that we do these things that Jesus himself gives. And um, so I just want to kind of start out by kind of going over this passage, and I, I'll i comment on it a bit, and then uh, the Father's Trummer can comment on it a little bit. So it's in Matthew chapter 9, and I'm just going to start verse 14. And so this is actually just after the call of Matthew, where they all see him eating with tax collectors and sinners. So the Pharisees are kind of judging Jesus, living it up with these tax collectors and sinners in their in their eyes. And this is earlier in verse 11. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And I'm sure they're saying a lot of other things about like, oh man, like these guys don't fast. They're not, they're not doing anything rigorous. I'm sure they're saying things like that. And Jesus actually responds by saying in thir- verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is actually putting, he's, he's putting things in perspective here by putting mercy and love above self-denial. And or rather we should say self-denial in order for it to have any sort of merit in the sight of God, it has to be at the service of love and mercy, right? So now let's go back to verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So it's just a sincere question here. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth 
on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. I remember when I was a kid, I I thought this was like just basically like a total like non sequitur, like just Jesus is like giving a totally random uh, parable. And then it started to make a little more sense over time, but it, it was really only in more recent years that I really got struck by what I what I truly believe is like the meaning of it. So he's talking about how there's really a time of celebration right now, in a sense where the king has come and he's with his disciples, you know, the bridegroom is here. This is not the time for primarily for penance, even though later on, you know, Jesus says, he, t he kind of rebukes his disciples, like you couldn't cast this demon out because you weren't praying and fasting. So I'm sure there's some fasting going on even now. Um, but generally speaking, this isn't the, the season for fasting primarily, but he says, when the bridegroom is taken away from them, then they will fast. So in other words, that applies to us. So we are in the season for fasting. So we're waiting for the bridegroom to come back. We're waiting for the king to come back. And so it's a time for fasting. But this is really fascinating. And I'm actually going to skip the first one. <laughs> the first one is the unshrunk cloth. And I think both of them make a similar point, but I've really spent more time meditating on the second one. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins, if it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wine skins, so both are preserved. So I don't know, I don't know how often people have already heard this uh, from the pulpit or whatever, but um, wine skins are, I don't know, does anybody remember, is it like the stomach of like a goat or something, is how, what they would normally be, or a sheep? Um, and so it would expand as the wine would ferment, right? So new wine would expand the skin a lot more. So if you're using an old wine skin, it's already been expanded once. It's already been filled with something. It's not going to be able to handle the new wine. And so what is the new wine? Well, the new wine throughout scripture, the wedding at Cana, there's the, the later wine is better than the former. You know, and then and then later on in the letters of St. Paul, he talks about the uh, do not get drunk on wine, which is debauchery, but be um, intoxicated with the Holy Spirit, right? So there's just a clear reference throughout Scripture that wine, in the New Testament especially, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So the new wineskin is that container for the Holy Spirit. So this old wineskin that we have needs to be replaced by a new wineskin. How do we get that new wineskin? There's a lot of pieces to it. For instance, I think we're, this podcast really is, overall, a lot of it's about renewal of the mind. So we have to renew our minds, we have to renew our, we have to change our thought patterns, we have to change our lifestyle. And we also have to be able to keep our, our passions, our, you know, stronger emotions, especially in check 
And so all of this really is um, what asceticism is, essentially. Asceticism is denying ourselves in order to move away from being an old wineskin to becoming a new wineskin. Because again, what does Jesus say? If, if, the, if the new wine is poured into the old wineskin, it'll burst. What happens if God were to pour his spirit into an old wineskin? If our lives are old wineskins, if we're not... And, and this does happen. I really believe that God sometimes does allow this to happen um, because we have free will. He doesn't want to create this situation, but I think it can happen that if we're blessed with a great grace or if God comes to visit us and we don't steward that well because we don't change our lifestyle, we don't change our sinful habits, we can end up worse off than we were before. You know, I think of, for instance, maybe, you know, some of the big pastors of the 20th century who may have had true anointings of the Holy Spirit filled with that new wine, um, but who may not have stewarded it the best and ended up really destroying the credibility of, of the church in a lot of ways by just not being able to handle um, that grace. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll let the, the fathers talk here, because I've gone on for a bit here. Um, it, but there was one other thing I, I came to mind earlier. I don't know if anyone's heard of John Eldridge. Um, he's a speaker and writer, wrote the book Wild at Heart. But I remember seeing a video of him as a recent video where he talks about essentially that point of like, there's a lot of people who they have these great ministries or these anointings, and then they just crash and burn. And it's like, they just didn't have a foundation. They didn't cultivate a foundation emotionally and like, you know, psychologically, like they didn't, they didn't use the opportunities they could have for healing in those areas to grow in virtue in those areas. And so ultimately they ended up squandering the gifts of God. They let things get to their heads. And, um, we just don't want that to happen to us. So as we pursue a supernatural lifestyle, we can't expect that to happen unless we cultivate a new wineskin lifestyle where we're clearing away the former patterns and living like the new creation that we are. So, Yeah, just to make sure, um, you know, referring to just new wineskins, self-denial asceticism this means very practically speaking this means fasting which could be fasting from food it could be maybe not from having the most delicious food using less media things like that doing extra prayer taking extra time for silence so these things of, of self-denial help us be greater res uh, containers of the holy spirit basically and I think there are people who can go on a retreat, especially they can go to a conference. They can have a powerful experience, really encounter the Lord in that moment. And, and really they receive something. But as Joe was saying, maybe there's not a good way to sustain that. And so I think people can talk about the whole retreat high thing of like, well, you know, maybe this was just an emotional experience or you know, this can only last for so much time. Which to some extent is a, I mean, there's a truth that things are not always a super, we're not always just in really intense consolation, really strong felt sense of God's presence, you know, really strong sense of inspiration and joy. So that, that is true. But I think sometimes it's, there's, there's not always the, the discipline to sustain something. 
because I, I do know people have had like powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit, but kind of going back to normal life. And there's, there is a truth that habits and developing good habits, disciplines, routines. Yeah. And I'm not just talking about fasting during Lent, although that would be a particular focus, but yeah, even just like discipline routines and things like that. Like, yeah, when I wake up, I'm going to try not to just scroll on social media when I first wake up. Like that's a horrible way to set the tone for the day. Yeah. Maybe when it comes to night, I'm not, I'm not going to watch a bunch of TV. I'm not, I'm going to take care of my body. So I'm not super tired the next morning for prayer. So there's these things that this extra work we have to do. So yes, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the new wine that's poured out is is amazing. But yeah, what's what's the container? So this could be the heart, certainly. I think it can apply to, I mean, ultimately it does apply to ourselves, but it applies to the heart, applies to the mind, especially. Like, do we have minds that are open to something new? And I think some people can hear about things of the Holy Spirit and they're like, oh, this stuff is weird. This stuff is unhealthy this stuff maybe is like demonic when people hear about things of the holy spirit maybe they hear about prophecy and there's not really a renewed mind to experience something new so that that's the wine skin can burst and just like this is i'm not doing anything i don't want to have anything to do with the holy spirit in this kind of way uh so it can be the heart it can be the mind i would say even just the the new wine is poured into the wine skin of our routine and our habits so you know, there, there, there's a lot of, of ground we're covering here. So I hope being very general isn't too confusing, but I think it really does apply to a lot of areas areas in our life. So we have talked a lot about encounter, these experiences of baptism in the spirit. But yeah, what's, what's the container that's being poured into? Yeah, and also to be clear, because sometimes in the context of Lent, we rightly think about repentance and really just like working on rooting certain sins out of our life, obviously going to confession, just make, having that purpose of amendment and trying to, to really move away from sin in a particular way. When we think about like asceticism and some of these other spiritual disciplines, yes, they um, can be part of, certainly they, they are an important part of, of avoiding sin, but um, this isn't about avoiding sinful things. So asceticism itself is not just abstaining from uh, from sinful behavior. People Sometimes people joke, like in Lent, it's like, you know, oh, I'm going to give up, like, I don't know, swearing or lying or, or, I don't know, something like that. It's like, or even maybe someone's being serious, but they, but they, they had the idea to give up something that's sinful in itself. And um, so we're not talking about that. This is basically like going beyond just the repentance and moving away from sin, which is really important. But you think about what St. Paul says, that famous verse at Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We're talking a lot about being transformed by the renewal of our mind. Um, but St. Paul does start off with, you know, don't be conformed to this world. So that implies that being conformed to the world is an obstacle, or it's like an alternative. Like, don't do that. Don't be conformed to the world. Uh, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Something else that I was just listening to something the other day, talking about this. I think it was a talk by it was a talk by Matt Frad, uh, who's an apologist and has a uh, podcast, Pints of the Aquinas. But he was giving a talk, and he was talking about the the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
maybe when we think about sin or we think about conversion or going deep in our faith, we might think a lot about the flesh, and that's a lot of what we're talking about right now. And um, and then we, we sometimes we think about the devil too or being tempted uh, by the devil, like demonic temptation or whatever it might be. But there's also that category of the world. And so I think asceticism especially um, guards us against these categories. I think there's just a lot of things that fall into this category. They're not like morally obligatory and they're not necessary per se, like any specific thing. I think of St. Paul in First uh, Corinthians in a couple, a couple different places, actually, he repeats this like expression that the Corinthians were apparently using. And he says, uh, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then the other time he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things build up. So it's getting beyond just thinking about, I know it's, it's easy to think about your spiritual life, being a Christian, being a disciple. It can be easy to think about a lot. Uh, we can spend a lot of our time focusing on avoiding sin. And that's obviously really important. Um, you know, that's the, the first step is like moving, turning away from sin and turning toward God. But when it comes to like going deeper, uh, growing in excellence, growing in holiness, and especially uh, moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and bearing fruit, we are really going to have to be, we're either going to go beyond just like the minimum or go beyond just avoiding serious sins or avoiding sins. And it's like, well, how am I going to be well disposed, how am I going to be trained up to where I can really operate at that level? Like, how am I going to, how am I going to go beyond, like, to, whether it's a deeper level of prayer or a deeper level of, of ministry, deeper level of service, like, um, the, I, I will not have the, the capacity to move in those gifts. I'm not, I, can't, I can't just add on the new wine. I can't just add on the, the Holy Spirit to my to my life as it is right now if I'm if I'm still attached to some of these things so so there's obviously turning away from sin I just wanted to put in that context of like repentance turning away from sin and and getting that out of our life but then there's another area a very large area of things that are lawful (laughs) but they're not helpful or maybe they're they've it's not wrong to do it but it's just become an obstacle it's just filling up a lot of my time taking up a lot of my energy so that I don't have the time or energy to devote to the things of the Lord or to relationships that are helping me in my walk with the Lord. A lot of this is really about like putting to death the flesh. So yeah, that's as my brother is saying, it's not just about avoiding sin, but there's, there's a deeper level of self mastery. So we talk about like dying to the flesh. It's not your, just your physical body. It's not just physical stuff. It's, it's the part of you that is still sinful or still, still clings to what is, I don't know what it what is earthly self-centered desires is divisive there's that part of yourself that wants to like preserve yourself that wants to rely on yourself yeah our friend mike no one always says the the flesh it just like summarizes it with the line but what about me (laughs) it's like it's like interpreting all reality through the lens of yourself like it's like making every situation about yourself whether it's good or bad so like like taking credit for things or taking all the blame for things like my all of my life is just it's a story starring me and so that like getting beyond that that ego like egoism or self-centeredness yeah and i and i've certainly fallen to the temptation in, in my life that i've mentioned before of 
making my walk with God basically a journey of of sp- like spiritual self-fulfillment. It's kind of like my story and God is the sidekick. And it's like, I need God's grace. I'm going to pray. I love him. I want to live for him. But essentially, like the story is about me. And so I'm, I'm making everything centered, centered around me. So a lot of this is like, how can I put to death that part of me that even though I might not be sinning a ton in an obvious way, even though I'm trying to grow closer to God, there's still these disordered desires. There's these imbalanced desires in me <clears throat> that really dictate how I live a lot or it really makes me, it makes it hard for me to live how I actually want to live. Like I want to live fully like a saint. There's these disordered desires in me that we need to really put to death so that the spirit might live in us more. Putting our flesh to death or, you know, killing the flesh within us is something we all have to do. Okay. There's obviously very holy people. There's very holy saints who did this in an extreme way. And we can admire that and say, wow, St. Francis of Assisi really loved God. And we say, no, that's not for me, which to be honest, it, it probably isn't. But we, this, I think this happens where people just have this sense of, yeah, that's just like not my style. That's not my thing. And it's true to maybe not that extent, but we all have to put to death the flesh. And it's, it's, it's ultimately not a negative thing. Like flesh is, is a cancer. And really, again, it's putting the flesh to death, having greater self-denial, asceticism, things like this. These things help us gain self-mastery. And so we can live how we want to live. St. Paul talks about wrestling with the flesh. And he says, you know, it doesn't make sense. I don't do the good I want to do. And the evil that I hate, I end up doing that. And this happens all the time well, in a spiritual context, but even in an earthly context. Like people are addicted to maybe, let's say, cigarettes or alcohol. They don't want to, but they can't, they can't stop. People might struggle with resentment. They might struggle with impatience. There's so many things people struggle with, they just can't break free of. And so this isn't just simply saying, you can't ever have what you want. You can't enjoy anything. It's, no, we want to help you gain self-mastery to even do the things you want to do, but of course, ultimately to live, to live how you want to live. So this really is about getting greater freedom it's not a perfect analogy, but if you think of like a horse, like imagine a time when horses were a lot more common as a, the main means of transportation. Imagine your horse like constantly kicked and bucked, like knocked you off, would never go where you wanted to go. Like that would just stink, right? And so honestly, there's there's so many ways where we, we, we want to do certain things. We want to be, you know, more more loving. We want to be more disciplined. We want to spend spend more time for. Uh, we want to spend more time to pray. There's these these sins and vices that we don't want, and we just feel stuck. And so, uh, there is there is really work to to putting, putting the the flesh to these fleshly desires to to death, and it's it's not, as mentioned, it's not us, earning God's grace. We're not earning His love. It's important to realize that because God's love is unconditional, if you struggle with just spending an inordinate amount of time on your phone, TV, eating junk food, things like this, versus someone who doesn't do that, who might fast a lot, who might pray a lot more, it's not like God's going to love the other person more or that they're earning his love. It's just that 
when we're not dominated by these fleshly desires, these inordinate disordered desires, we're, we're able just to abide in relationship with him. We're able to abide in his love more. So someone who has a discipline of prayer and they're not staying up late, they're taking good care of their health. Well, they can, they'll actually just have time for God. They'll have time to, to meditate on the scriptures. They'll have the, the mental clarity to actually enter into meditation. So again, there's, this is not an, this is not an optional thing. There is a challenge to it, but it's, it's overwhelmingly something positive. And there's, there's endless analogies of like, yeah, exercise, it's kind of hard, but you do it and you have better sleep, you have better mood. So it's, it's a small sacrifice for a great payoff. And there's, this happens in a spiritual sense as well. Maybe that's just a, a really key insight to emphasize is just the, the, the fact that this kind of training, this kind of discipline of our desires is necessary in the spiritual life. Uh, I mean, maybe it seem, it might seem more obvious to people who have been living that or they've you know tried to appreciate that fact. But yeah, we are often very willing to do it in other areas of our life, whether it's exercise or diet or like other lifestyle things, productivity, trying to make very disciplined changes, trying to simplify parts of our life so that we can focus on what's really important. But then sometimes we just make this weird exception for our prayer life, our relationship with God. Like thinking that that just, that should just kind of happen or like, I don't know, like if God really wants me to be deeper, like maybe I just, I'm not called to be one of the really holy people or maybe I'm just supposed to be, you know, kind of more average. Um, If you feel like God is calling you to just a kind of very simple, um, not even simple, but just like a more mediocre kind of Christianity, that's just not true. Um, And it, and it will, but it will take some intentional choices to, to go beyond just the, the bare minimum. I am very passionate about the topic of fasting because it's just, it is like one of the best kept secrets of Christianity. I, I really, I really do believe that, you know, as Catholics, we often think that fasting is kind of our thing, even though we do it only, we only have to do it a few times a year. And to be honest, it's like we kind of, I think as, as Catholics, it's often seen as something that we have to do sometimes. And when we do have to do it, it's kind of like, oh man, it's a fast day. Here we go. It's Ash Wednesday or Good Friday. And, you know, there's, I, there's also a lot of Catholics, though, who try to do more often than that. Um, and some of you listeners may be among those, you know, uh, maybe fast on Fridays or Wednesdays or uh, more often during Lent. But what I've found is that it is very, very, very easy, even if you've been fasting for many years, to have not quite gotten into the the posture of heart for fasting that makes that fast truly life-changing. Like, man, so I have learned so much about fasting from my Protestant brothers and sisters. Like when I was in... um my first year of college at Ball State University. So it's a secular campus. Um, just, I mean, I was in the freshman dorm. It was kind of a crazy place. But um, I remember it was Ash Wednesday, and I was in my dorm room. And there was this this guy across the hall. Um, these guys on the hall weren't particularly religious folks. Um, but I think this guy's girlfriend was there. And she was like, 
her like, what are you giving up for Lent? He was like, oh. And she's like, well, I'm giving up something and I'm not even Catholic. It, was, it seemed pretty clear that she was indicating that he was Catholic um, from the way the conversation was going. But it's something like, yeah, there is that kind of Catholic mentality of like, it's something that I'd rather not have to do. But there are Protestant brothers and sisters who are doing it of their own volition, who are choosing to do it. And so we need to ask why that is. Why would people who don't have to do it choose to do it? There's this guy named Lou Engel that I've recently kind of discovered um, who is huge on fasting. He started fasting and prayer movements all across America. And he always says this thing, prophets are forged um, in the deserts of fasting, not in the deserts of feasting. It's kind of really, you know, on the nose and, and like simple, but it's also super true. Like, look at the lives of the saints. And, you know, there's a way that you can misinterpret when you read the lives of the saints in the, in the biographies talk about, oh, so-and-so fasted for 20, 40 days straight. You know, and it's just like these inhuman fasts. And when I was a kid and I read those, I was like, well, I guess the more you just hurt your body, I guess the holier you're going to get. But it's not this qualitative thing like that. Again, going back, it, it's the posture of the heart that is so incredibly important. So like, and I, just to say, just to finish up saying a few more things on that, there was a beautiful, um, and I don't remember who this was, I've heard it quoted several times, this idea that fasting, uh, you cling to God with one hand in prayer, and with the other hand, you let go of earthly things. So now you're wholly given over to God. But notice, there's prayer in there. You cannot fast without prayer. You need to be doing both. But when you're doing both and your heart is in the fasting, man, I cannot tell you how incredibly different it is when my heart isn't in fasting and when it is in fasting. This is in 2022 when um, I basically, I lost my job and I was like, I'm going to fast for a month straight every day and I'm going to ask the Lord what he wants me to do. And the Lord gave me the gift to fast. And I had tried to fast before in my life, but that was when he gave me the gift of fast. And I just, I want to encourage anyone who feels like they can't fast or just hates fasting, just pray for him to teach you how to fast. Pray for the Holy Spirit to show you how to fast because he will give you that gift if you desire it. And I'm telling you, it's, a, it's an awesome thing because it, it just opens up the gates of heaven in your life. I mean, when you can live a fast wholeheartedly, it's just like you have so much more clarity. And I'm not talking just on a psychological level. I'm talking about on a spiritual level. And I know people fast for a lot of psychological and physical health benefits and stuff nowadays. It's kind of the in thing. But I'm telling you, this is something else. There's um, like I, I would feel physical manifestations more often when I was fasting of the spirit. Yeah, I'm actually really excited because God, I felt God was... It's kind of been asking me to fast a little more intensely this Lent, actually, um, and praying, like we mentioned earlier about, you know, that self-centeredness in our prayer and in our lifestyle, just fasting for the intention of having a Jesus-centered prayer time rather than a me-centered prayer time. Like, that's just very personally, that's kind of what he's been asking me to offer that fast for. And man, if you pray and fast for an intention together— you're going to receive it if it's in accord with his will. I truly believe there's no question about that. So that's my little spiel for fasting for uh, for now. <laughs> 
I think it is interesting how fasting has become so, so popular in the secular world. And there's so many people that do it for, for health reasons. And I think it's cool to, it's really cool to see there's just a lot of physical health benefits to fasting in terms of your brain health. There's a, a, a greater release of uh, BDNF. I don't know if I can quite remember the what it stands for, but it promotes the, the, the growth of new neurons in the brain. Uh, lowering inflammation, uh, like greater, there's greater autophagy where your 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 body goes through a greater like detoxification, getting rid getting rid of cells that are aren't function functioning. It can even eliminate precancerous cells, which I'm not, I'm not actually trying to primarily push this for this reason, but there's this excitement around fasting because it has all these just so many benefits in the body in so many different areas, and it's interesting how for those physical benefits, how people can be like so invested in it. There's people who aren't religious who are doing, I mean, just regular fasting where they're, you know, just eating once a day or something like that. Or maybe they're doing three day fast, five day fast, seven day fast, sometimes even 14, 21 day fast of just having water, basically maybe water and some, and some minerals. I, I do think it's cool to see that, Hey, like what, what's been recommended by our faith is actually has these physical benefits because it shows that God is like God is the designer of it all. And it's like the, the body and the soul work in, in harmony. So I, I think, I do think it's cool to see that, but to not be primarily focused on that. And I'll share in a second of how I've been, I haven't done it. What Joe is saying from a, a more prayerful place or from for more spiritual reasons. Hopefully we can talk about the importance of silence as well. Cause I think that's an, a really important ascetical practice that we're, that we really need in our in our culture, but in terms of not always fasting for the the right reasons, yeah, like a lot of secular people aren't doing it for their soul. And I I have a have a scripture pulled up from Saint Paul. He said he talks about he says, "Do you know that that the, that the runners in the stadium all run in the race, but only one wins the prize? Run so as to win. Every athlete exercises discipline in every way." They do it to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. They do win a perishable crown, but we in an imperishable crown. And so it's just amazing how much investment people have just for their just for their physical health or like longevity, longevity. Like people are just doing everything to tack on, you know, extra years to their life. It's amazing how invested people are to be like the best athlete or to be good looking or to have good physical health. Like, why don't we have remotely the same amount of investment in our faith? Like, it's the amount of fasting that's actually required for us is really just kind of laughable. And, you know, there's a reason that the church is requiring this for everybody. So it's not going to be hardcore for everybody. I get that. But for a lot of us who are not super young or super old, it's like these, the, what's actually asked of us is basically nothing. <laughs> But I'll just uh, just conclude my little part on on fasting, at least with this what's coming to mind, and that's I actually have done fasting, and I'll tell you, I feel more free to share this in terms of not finding spiritual pride because I'm I'm telling you how I've not approached it with the right mindset. So, growing up, I snacked all the time, ate tons of sugar, I ate junk all the time. Fast forward just to, I don't know more recently or even a couple years ago and learning about the health benefits of fasting. And so 
even learning about spiritual recommendations for fasting, the power of it was never enough to really ever make me do anything extra. Even in seminary, even doing lots of other prayer, just did not have much practices of self-denial. I do the bare minimum. So I learned about these health benefits and then all of a sudden I have all this motivation to fast. Like I've done um, a two, two seven day fast of only having water. Uh, I guess in one of them I had like a very, very, like a cup and a half of, of broth. Uh, a couple, f- two or three five day fast, which is, is pretty crazy, honestly. But, and I'll tell you, it was mostly motivated by physical health benefits. Not, I'm not saying there wasn't spiritual benefits because there is, there is something valuable in it. But I'll tell you, it, it really probably wasn't nearly as spiritually beneficial as it could have been because uh, it actually, in a certain way, it actually was kind of the flesh. So the flesh, the flesh is the part of you that's like, uh, it's about me. It's also the part of you like, I don't want to die. Like the the flesh doesn't doesn't want to die. It wants to secure its own existence. It wants to control. It wants to never, t- yeah, like never take any risk. Like I just have to, and you know, people buy these like crazy giant kits of like food emergency kits in, in case like the world, the government shuts down. They have all these like crazy survival kits just to kind of ensure for themselves. And so for me to do these long fasting, not to mention just several, like just very constant, like 20 hour fast. It, it, in some way, there definitely was benefits, but a lot of it was the flesh which is like, I'm just trying to like, I don't know, get longevity, greater physical health, which again, it's, it's not like these things are all good, all bad, but I'll just conclude cause I'm, I'm going on for a while here. So f- fasting when it's done for a, a, a authentically, um, like spiritually good place or their spiritual desires. It's like, I'm rooting myself that the most important thing is not my body. And like Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the father. And there's other scripture quotes and man does not live on bread alone, but on every worth comes from the mouth of God. And when I tell you what, although I was definitely pretty shallow in my long fast, there was something really cool about the only food I was eating for seven days was the Eucharist. Like that's powerful. So again, there's, it's cool to show that God is asking us to to fast, especially in times of like Advent and Lent. And it's like this benefit is not just spiritual, but ultimately we our, our, our motivation should be to yeah, just, just grow closer to God and, and not not try to do it from other I don't know, other motives like me basically. And I, I, I've done just smaller fast more more recently. And it's been a lot more of that that spiritual from that spiritual motivation, and it, it has been a lot more edifying spiritually speaking. We re- we recently had that episode with Mary Bielski where we talked about purity of heart, and I think just the whole ascetic, like the whole idea of asceticism of fasting really ties in nicely to purity of heart. Basically, the idea is, and we've all experienced this, we have certain very deep like perduring desires for like great things in our life and even though and then we have a lot of other desires that are very short-lived 
but very intense. And they can just crowd out our attention and they can they just become very hard to ignore or suppress. And we just, even if it's, again, even if it's not for something bad, just things like food, entertainment, and just little distractions, uh, constantly being connected to technology or screen, whatever it might be. So it desires for maybe things that are good or neutral, but they just kind of crowd out our awareness of our deeper desires. I'm a big fan of uh, the Catholic philosopher, and he's a scientist, Blaise Pascal, he talked a lot about how people, and he was talking about his time in the 1600s, about like modern people and all their distractions. So he was already worried about people distracting themselves with entertainment and, and busyness in the 1600s. So uh, times that by like 5,000 today. Uh, but he talked about how people, like the idea of diversion and how we actually have deeper things that even, like my brother said earlier, there are even things that we want that we really desire. And whether it's uh, just fear of what pursuing that desire will cost, or maybe not being quite sure or certain that that desire can be met. For whatever reason, though, we often uh, fall into just these surface-level desires for just daily things, passing things. And so there's just not a lot of energy or like mental energy or time practically i mean time is a big thing uh energy or focus attention to direct towards the deeper desire so even just temporary short periods of fasting can really make you awaken to like wow like what do i really want on a deeper level um and by the way just on that note of my brother was mentioning those longer fasts which i've, I've done some of that myself it something that you learn when you fast uh, for any decent period of time is that you will experience, uh, you know, a, a hun hunger. You'll experience that desire to eat, uh, but it comes in in a, in waves. And so, if you're used to always satisfying your desire, uh, your like especially your bodily desires, as soon as you feel them, you might th you might be convinced that like this is just going to keep increasing until I satisfy it. But the reality is that it kind of just passes. And then you go back to a state of, of kind of just contentment and feeling fine. So there's also like, I think I just, it changed my relationship when I got into fasting. It changed my relationship with um, just bodily desires, bodily attractions and things like I, I, re I recognize that I don't have to, I, it just gave me more peace about them. Like I don't have to satisfy them. If I just wait, um, things will pass. And, and then it, it frees me to not just be constantly Moving from thing to thing, like oh, what, what am I going to eat in two hours from now? What am I going to do for this? What am I going to you know watch tonight? What am I going to and just constantly moving on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and I just don't actually attend to my soul and to my, the deeper desires of my heart. We think so much about food, like we really do. Like everything, just so much centers around food, and it's like, well, food's a good thing, and God, you know, He enjoys. Like it's a good thing we get to connect with each other. It's true, but it's just like so disordinate. So I just want to add that little comment on there. Well, I was actually going to say, kind of say the same thing, really, though. Um, food is is good, and it's essential for life. But when we fast, we say, God, this is good, and this is essential for life, but you are more good, and you are more essential for my life than food. It's like, it's such a powerful statement 
and your body testifies to it when you're hungry or when you're feeling a little weak or whatever. It's like you are saying with your body, not just with your mouth, not just with your lips. You're saying with your body, Lord, I desire you more than anything else. So, yeah, just kind of jumping on like what Father Chris is saying, um, but kind of getting even more, I guess, maybe a little bit into the, some of the spiritual stuff. So it's like, to me, it's like that prayer, that prayer part that has to be um, kind of locked into the fasting process. It's like that prayer takes us to those deeper desires. And then in fasting, we have the ability to stay there. You know, as, uh, as uh, you know, Lou Engel would say, like, in, in fasting consistently, you keep the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in your life. You don't just burn out as a lot of people do, right? It's because you have that, um, that fasting continually is giving you access to the deeper desires of your heart. And I 100% agree. Like, that was a revelation to me when I figured out, oh, wait, I actually really love to be here. Like, this, it is good for me to be here, where this, this place where this fasting has taken me within myself. It's like this is a this is this is a place I really want to live my life. I feel so much freer. And then just to just to complete this this whole thing, it's like because you're living on this different, I guess, level of dependence on God and and just this, you know, this earnestness of of living a life a lifestyle of fasting. There's often breakthrough there. Like there's a lot of breakthrough that can be found in fasting. Um, I know of a friend who was, um, you know, a, a completely healed of habits of impurity after like um, uh, it was a, like a 40 day fast or something like that. I think it was shorter than that. I think it was a 20 day fast. My brother actually he fasted for the intention of my brother coming back to the sacraments. And the very day that my brother ended the fast, my brother came back to confession. Um, oh, wow. There's also stories like Randy Clark. Randy Clark, who we have talked about, um, he's first started seeing creative miracles uh, where, where, where parts of the body would grow back and stuff after he did a fast for that intention. So there's just so much power and so much breakthrough in fasting, um, and I just look forward to continuing to grow in my understanding of it. I like that you mentioned, you know, that like fasting as, as just a form of prayer— like intensifying your focus and like you said, exp like expressing through your body, not just intending it with your mind or speaking with your lips, but intending it, intending it with your body. Like St. Paul says, again, at Romans 12, I present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like I can make of my bodily life a sacrifice. You think about this with, uh, you know, we talk about going into Lent and Jesus is in the desert. Jesus is fasting in the desert. Uh, Jesus' fasting was not about self-improvement. It wasn't about detaching from sin. It wasn't about correcting his sinful desires. Uh, it was it was an expression of prayer, and it was a way that he was um, seeking intimacy, but also like uh, basically showing that he was willing to confront devil, uh, the devil, head on with just purely relying only on God. Like I'm not going to have anything else as backup. I'm going to have any other resources to contend with. I'm not going to rely on even like my normal level of bodily strength. I'm going to be completely stripped down. Uh, a radical form of, of prayer and of like really spiritual warfare 
but using his body as well. Again, just a quick note. Um, another fruit of fasting um, is just so often deliverance, right? And I gave I gave an example, maybe a couple examples of that already, but just going to uh, Matthew uh, chapter 17, verse 21. <clears throat> but this kind of demon never comes out except by prayer and fasting. When his apostles are asking, or when his disciples are asking, like, why couldn't we cast this demon out, right? Um, there's a lot of demons in our society, both maybe possessing individuals, but just possessing our whole, you know, so many aspects of our culture um, and oppressing us in so many ways that I think they would, they, I mean, fasting has, along with prayer, has the power to overcome so many of these things. I like that you mentioned that the passage of Jesus, I think, it was, I think it was Bill Johnson, who's that Protestant pastor out in Bethel in California. I think he he was commenting on that, Jesus saying that this this can only be brought up by prayer and fasting. He pointed out that uh, it, he did he didn't probably didn't mean like uh, fasting in that moment of like oh you got to like go fast and like come back and try to drive the demon out again. It's like they they were already encountering the guy, so they didn't have a like time to go off and fast. So it's like a lifestyle of fasting, like to be just I don't know more detached from their reliance on their own strength. Or you know, there's obviously several different things that fasting brings spiritually, but just more of like they weren't in the habit of doing it. So it's interesting. Primarily, fasting takes us out of self reliance. It helps us rely on God. It helps us create space for God. There is that element of helping us not be so indulgent. And the reality is that idolatry is basically finding security, finding joy, finding happiness in something other than God. Like God should be the ultimate source of security, happiness, and joy. When we try to find that in other things, that's idolatry. It's not just about having a gold figurine of an animal or deity and worshiping it. It's something's taking the place of God. And so we really can just look to pleasures in general. Like this is hedonism. It's trying to find happiness and temporary satisfaction. And we become enslaved to that self-indulgence. So uh, again, this is not just some necessary hard things like, hey, this life isn't heaven. So come on, you just got to, things just kind of, things have to just suck every once in a while. You know, it's not, it's not the point. A lot of this whole thing about, Again, just it could be not listening to music, definitely taking more time for silence, way more time for silence, more time for prayer, less time for just digital stimulation, fasting. Uh, this is really just about freedom. A lot of this is about freedom. But in terms of us having idols, it's like if I, if I idolize watching certain TV shows, if I just go do something else, that's maybe a form of self-denial that can help maybe some, but fundamentally, like I have to sacrifice that idol. Like if my idol is whatever, you know, Netflix or whatever TV thing I'm using or YouTube, social media, fundamentally, it's going to come down to giving up that thing or, or denying myself in that area. And I, and I do think, as I said before, food is, is such a, a common place of just like obsession is like, people are at lunch and they're talking about, Oh, like they're talking about this 
food they had yesterday or what they had for dinner. And they're talking about what they're going to do for dinner tomorrow. And like, oh, I think we're going to cook up this for Sunday. And it's like, it's it's an obsession. And here's a, a quote from Philippians 3. St. Paul is talking about the enemies of Christ. And he's like, okay, like, follow me. Don't follow these other people. These enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their end is their destruction. He says their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. And so that Ouch. is so true. It's, yeah, that's so true for Americans. And so, you know, when when I fast, it's like you actually learn to like it. You actually learn to like self-denial. It's like people like who are runners, they love it. Like they feel weird if they don't run. And it's like, well, running just it seems like on the surface on the surface would just kind of suck. It's like you're just you're just running, breathing hard, exerting a lot of effort. There's not like a ball that you're chasing. It's just sheer running, sometimes long distances. But people grow to love it. And yeah, you can talk about the the physiology of the endorphins and things like that, but there's there's something satisfying in in having that that discipline, that self denial. And there's these other benefits that supersede the immediate discomfort. And so when, when it comes to fasting, it's like, yeah, there is a, a there's a challenge to it of like I kind of want to eat, but then there's so many other beautiful things about it. Just like my mind is so much more focused on God. I have so much more space in my in my mind, in my heart for God. I'm so much less distracted. And so it's like, again, it's not just like, hey, everyone, just things just have to suck for the sake of sucking. It's it's creating space for God. It's, it's, it's putting to death these idols, especially the, the idol of food. And again, there's a lot of people who are not drinking excessively. They might not be using cigarettes. They're not using drugs. But I do see a lot of believers... And I think I've definitely been one of those too. Uh, I don't eat a lot of junk food, but I still struggle with just making the the, the pleasure of eating uh, an idol. And it's important not to get. Sh- it's important not to feel shame. Okay, food is good, and there is some level of enjoyment. But we we don't want to think just desiring food is bad because God gave us these desires, as we've said multiple times. But again, it's just putting things into balance. I think that. I think that in our culture, um, when we talk about fasting, and this has already been mentioned, I think, to some extent, um, we talk about fasting from, oh, it's like, well, make sure it's like you're not giving up. Don't don't give up too many meals, but just like give up, you know, that one thing you like, you know, and uh, or just video games or like TV or whatever. It's like, let's let I mean, first of all, like, let's see if our lifestyle is really training us to be a, make a gift of ourselves at all right so it's like let's look at that and then once we've cleared out some of those things that are really getting us totally self-absorbed which we have to do as christians right that's an essential part of the new new wineskin thing let's eliminate those things i'm not saying video games and all that are necessarily that but um there is a certain thing in the tradition of the church Fasting from food has a primary like place, and that's something I wish I could give you the source on that, the official source. But I know that I've I've seen this, I've figured this out over the years. Um, Father Michael, Father Chris, tell me if I'm wrong. But when the church talks about fasting, um, fasting from food in particular is really kind of what is mainly meant by that. 
because and again it 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 your health you know people are in different places health wise but there's just something about giving up what is kind of so essential and which so easily becomes a easily justifiable attachment i'm somebody who i i'll admit it like gets super attached to food and not always the most healthy food i don't think i always eat as healthy as these two guys um and so it it's it's something that i my mind can kind of center my day around it, around food especially if i think there's a good meal coming up and there's other things too like i mean there's there's this understanding in the uh kind of the the teachings of 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 many spiritual writers for instance that gluttony so an overattachment to food can often be a precursor for impurity because there's they 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 can so sexual impurity because those things kind of proceed from the pleasure appetite in the same way so again it's not that sex is evil or that or that eating is evil but it's an inordinate attachment to these things and and i will just say from experience dealing with those both of those temptations becomes easier when you really go for the the gluttony part because that is in a sense that's even more basic even more fundamental of a thing to kind of attack if you're going to just work on denying yourself something i'll say too is that we have a, a great tendency to over, overestimate what we what our needs are and we tend to underestimate what we're capable of just using a secular example there's this guy named wim hoff and I mean, this guy, you can look him up. He's climbed Mount Everest in like shorts, maybe a t-shirt, maybe not a shirt, like very minimal, like protection from, from the cold. Uh, he's has like, he's ran like, I think a marathon or half marathon in a, a desert with no water. And I'm, I don't want to get too focused on him, but just these things, there's just like, no way, no way is that possible. And I've even seen other things from him where he's kind of just taught people his breathing techniques and just the importance of mind over matter. And there's people doing things that he does, like just people like walking across this park bridge. It's like in the middle of winter, there's snow everywhere. And these people just jump off a 15 foot bridge into ice water and they're like totally fine. It's like, again, it's the point of this is not just being super tough. That's, that's, that's not the point, but the general point is we tend to really, um, underestimate what we're capable of and, and what we need like oh i have to have this i have to this i have to have this and i don't know when i did do the this seven day fast or five day fast even if it was from a, a pretty shallow place it's pretty incredible just like even the first night it's just like i haven't eaten a whole day and i'm going to bed on an empty stomach and it's like it's wild it's radical and then it's like the fifth day sixth day it's like i've not eaten anything in six days and you should like lay down I guess I'll just go to bed. But then, and honestly, like, and I don't want to get too distracted by the, the physical stuff, but honestly, like feeling really amazing for a lot of it. So we just have a tendency to just, even like, what, I'm going to actually say more about this, like TV. It's like, there's this, this lie. There's this lie we believe that we need TV. <laughs> okay. I'm not here to actually say TV is evil. Okay. I don't want to make some ext extreme universal claims. But we really believe this lie. It's just like, well, I have to relax with TV and TV is what's relaxing. And if I'm doing something that's not sitting on a couch or watching a movie or on the computer, then I'm not actually relaxing. And it's like a lot of TV isn't actually refreshing. 
it's not life-giving. It's not restorative on a deeper sense. It's like, yeah, if you're like super tired and fatigued, it might be kind of uh, mindless enough where you'll you'll find it enjoyable. But it's, it's very short-term. And again, it, it does greatly depend on what you're watching. But it's like we just have a tendency to overestimate our need for entertainment, for, for, for media, for music. And it's like, yeah, we, we just simply don't. And honestly, it's like I... <laughs> I would say like for, for like, a, unless there's like something that's really more solid or nourishing, just again, you don't have to listen to me. I'm going to be more bold. Feel, feel free guys to like talk me down. Just, I just think most of the time, like we should not be watching TV most of the time. Again, you do not, you do not have to agree with me, agree with me on this. Don't throw everything out, everything else I've said, but it's like, and for myself, it's like, I don't watch much TV not because I actually think it's intrinsically evil. I just don't want to like, it's, it's not restorative. It's not life-giving. Um, and we just, and I, this is someone who's, you're talking to someone who's spent a lot of his life playing video games, a lot of time playing stupid, like little mini, mini games on smartphones. I've wasted so much time on this stuff. And it's like, if we're going to be like really serious disciples of Jesus, like we just need to, again, it's not just like everybody don't do anything enjoyable, you know, just eat bread and water the rest of your life, sleep on a, on the floor all the time. No, but at the same time, we just, we, we really just water things down. It's like, yep, I'll give up chocolate for Lent and I'll very reluctantly do the fast that's asked for. And so I just think we just really need to challenge ourselves of what we're capable of, but even just like the things that we just long for so much are really not honestly that great. And so in terms of Lent, yes, like fasting, not just not just giving up Starbucks with creamer, not just giving up chocolate. I used to do I used to do things like, well, I'll give up chocolate, but I won't give up like like fruit flavored candy or I'll give up fruit fruit flavored candy, but not chocolate. It's like, give me a break. So like actual fasting, actual calorie restriction, that, and then uh, we're really kind of going a long time here. So if you guys want to comment on any of that, I would maybe like to cap off just talking about the importance of silence, I think, in terms of self-denial and asceticism. I just think one really important point is like, again, we just, we have to get past this sort of psychological, emotional barrier that we that we have imagining that this is going to be so unbearable. I mean, truly, so much of the pain that I've had when I fasted poorly was not at all physical. It was just the thought of like, oh, I wish I were eating this right now. You know, oh, I wish like and it's like it's because of the lack of generosity of the heart. So it, it won't get fun once you start doing it if you keep that lack of generosity. But just take that first step in generosity and just see what happens and see how the day plays out and, and real. And like, you will be surprised at what the Lord does in your prayer. Right. And again, like what Father Michael's saying, like, I remember, I remember thinking this thought several times when I was in the Franciscans and we had no access to technology whatsoever. And we did sleep on the floor and all that jazz. And it was a pretty intense life. But I remember thinking so many times, wow, I absolutely do not regret not being able to play video games. I do not miss them one bit. 
And I remember just thinking that so many times. If you had like told me like, okay, like you can never play video games again for two years, I might start missing them and might start worrying about it. But it's like, once I d did it, once I was in that place, I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's like just one less thing that's distracting me. And um, yeah, here's I a just, well, I just want to throw out a quote here that just kind of came to be. I was kind of having TV and like food and like just all these kind of little attachments like this, or maybe big attachments for that matter. Um, and just kind of having that in mind is just sort of the things that we do in the flesh. But here's St. Paul in uh, Romans 8, which is an amazing chapter, um, verse 5. He's talking about life in the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So again, if, you like, if you're watching TV and you feel like you need to watch TV, well, that's your choice. But what kind of narrative are you consuming in all this stuff that you're watching, right? Um, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So those are pretty tough words. But I mean, yeah, essentially that, that old widened skin is just living out of our flesh. And so um, Paul's just kind of laying it down. It's like, look, it's like we got to make a choice. Yeah, I just want to share a little quote and let Father Christopher hop in here. Our tendency just to be overly scared of giving something up of like, I mean, I've like suggested to high schoolers like, yeah, I give up TikTok. And it's like, I could never give up TikTok. It's like, well, that sounds like attachment or, or s slavery. It's like, that doesn't sound like freedom. So whenever, like generally, unless it's like a, a essential need like water. Okay. But, you know, besides the true essentials, if someone, if you are, you know, someone says, well, yeah, like I could never do without that. That's like a greater sign of slavery. <laughs> like the, the harder something is to give up, there's a good chance that's the, the more you need to give it up. But, but yeah, what in terms of what Joe is saying, St. Francis de Sales says, um, the enemy makes use of sadness to try good men with his temptations. Just as he tries to make bad men marry in their sin, so he seeks to make the good sorrowful amid their works of piety. <laughs> uh, and while making sin attractive so as to draw them into it, uh, he strives to turn from them holiness by making it disagreeable. <laughs> and so, like, there's this, like, kind of picture in mind of, like, if I do something sacrificial or harder, if I don't have my my coffee creamer or my TV show, I'm just going to be miserable. It's like, that's just a straight-up lie. So, yeah, with a lot of these things that we're sharing and things that we've obviously learned from other people and, above all, from Scripture, we just have to basically it'll be convinced in faith and even by reason that pursuing certain desires is actually going to make us more happy, more free, more joyful, have more peace. Uh, whenever you're convinced of that, you'll be willing to uh, do the work of, of changing your desires. The way it feels for me to start saying no to something for the first time is going to be more difficult. And I know that, you know, as I, uh, 
abstain from that thing that like my desires will change. So it's not going to, if you know, if you find it really hard to imagine giving up TikTok or Facebook or, or TV or something like that, the difficulty that you experience obviously doesn't, it doesn't just continue feeling that difficult. You basically have to trust uh, the wisdom of, of God, the wisdom of human experience that like, no, actually my desires will change and I won't even miss it anymore. And so you have to be able to visualize what your life could look like. Like what could my life look like if I weren't attached to these things? Uh, and if I can see that and recognize that and desire that, that new life, like that, the new life that Jesus is calling me to, then I'll be willing to, to endure the, the challenge of, of, of experiencing as my desires change. It's going to be a process, but like I'll get to a point where there's things now, like my brother mentioned video games. I played video games in high school and in college for hours and hours every day. And sometimes on the weekends, like staying up until two, three, four in the morning playing video games, like every day in, day out, just that was my life. Now, just that I thought of playing one is like laughable. Like, I mean, I'm not making fun of people who play them. Like, just for me, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, and it didn't happen. That happened very quickly when I started pursuing God. Uh, it just like, I just, I just don't have any interest in that. Um, your desires will change. You can trust that they'll change and you, but you have to do have to be willing to, to, to go through the process. And let me say this very clearly. As we're talking about challenging things and initiative, what we need to have, never forget that we are not trying to promote a gospel of try harder. So if you're going to do these things, there does need to be some level. It needs to be rooted in prayer, as Joe said. It needs to come from an inspiration. It needs to come from the grace of God. So just thinking like, well, I hear this and I just should be better. And you kind of feel bad about yourself. I promise you it will not work because I've felt the desires to to do something more intense or radical and it's more of a sense of shame or guilt that i'm not doing enough it won't work it's never a good enough performance fuel. there has to be yeah it, it does have to be rooted in again there's just so many things to talk about but we can do nothing apart from god being rooted in like making sure we're not striving to earn his love we're not just relying on our own willpower like at the end of the day, like it's gonna feel like you're trying. I, I will say that, but just to, just to be very clear about that, this, just to discern, you know, what is what is God inviting you to do, and so if you just feel excessively burdened by the idea of doing something, well, don't pursue these things out of a sense of, of burden or pressure. So, I would maybe like to just sh- shift the last part. We probably can't do it in a ton of justice, but at least just to briefly mention it a little bit more uh, would just be the importance of, of silence. So, you know, with all these things we're talking about, Joe was talking about gluttony and we're talking about fasting a lot in particular from food. And I'll say just a little bit, we'll say a little bit now about fasting in terms of silence. You know, this is this, what we're talking about is not the most important thing. Like the most important thing is, poverty of spirit the most important thing is humility uh things like gratitude surrender trust these are the things that's far more important okay but that's not the topic for today and certainly things like gluttony uh gluttony and greed 
are things that we struggle with in our culture. And so it's something that we're addressing in this and it's relevant for Lent, right? But things like pride and envy are a much bigger deal. And so those are addressed with humility and, and gratitude and things like that. So we we don't want to give the impression that just being able to fast a lot means you're holy. Because I already made it very clear. Uh, that's, that's not automatically the case by any means. But I just want to read a, a couple of quotes on on silence. We're, we're filled with so much noise. I know Father Chris has talked a little bit about this, but we are filled with so much noise and even sometimes good noise. Like I have to listen to good Catholic podcasts. I mean, this is ironic right now because we're doing a podcast, but yeah, there's good Catholic podcasts. There's good, even like Christian music, right? There's audiobooks. I have to even limit that too. Like that still can prevent me from having silence. Is it bad? No, but I have to, I have to take time to listen. And so anything can, can take me, can take me away from listening to God. So here's just a, a, a couple of quotes. Uh, Henry Nowen, a great spiritual author says, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we don't set aside some time aside to be with God and listen to him. And real, br- real briefly, Jesus Christ, the man who was God, he had to take time aside to pray. He went off to a, a deserted place to, to pray in the midst of a busy ministry schedule. Like Jesus had to pray. If Jesus has to pray, if he needs time for silence and solitude, how much more do we? I'm going to read one more quote here and let you guys hop in here. This is from uh, Cardinal Sarah or Cardinal Sarah's book um, on the, the power of, of silence. Without noise, a postmodern man falls into a dull, insistent uneasiness. He is accustomed to a permanent background noise, which sickens yet reassures him. Without noise, man is feverish, lost. Noise gives him security, like a drug on which he has become dependent. With its festive appearance, noise is a whirlwind that avoids facing itself. Agitation becomes a tranquilizer, a sedative, a morphine pump, a sort of reverie an uh, incoherent dream world. But this noise is a dangerous, deceptive medicine, a diabolic lie that helps man avoid confronting himself in his interior emptiness. The awakening will necessarily be brutal. There is a study where they had people, this is not the quote anymore, but there was a study where they had people sit in a room and say, okay, you can sit in silence. You can sit in silence, or if you want to, here's this button the only thing it does is it shocks you. There's no reward. It just shocks a considerably painful shock. Okay, so it wasn't a 10, but it wasn't like a one. It was like a considerably painful shock. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think like 60, 70% of the men chose to shock themselves, sometimes more than once, then just sit in silence. And I think it was less than less than half the women, but still a considerable percentage. So people would ladder would rather feel a lot of pain than just sit in silence. And so even in the midst of very many good things, and this is something I, as I said, I've worked on, I I have to limit my podcast, my YouTube, my audiobook, my audiobook intake, no matter what it is, it does not matter what it is. There's just a true need for silence. And so really stepping away from the noise, I think is a great ascetical practice. That's not just all horrible, but there's there's definitely some self-control required.
Yeah, with, you know, you talked about, like, it doesn't matter what it is. You just have to put a sheer limit on it. And, you know, sometimes people talk about, like, quality time. But there is a sense in which, like, quantity time is, is like, uh, what we have. It's like, uh, you just, you only have, you only have so much time. And uh, I know for myself, there, there's, I, that's probably one of my, I would say, just confess, it's one of my biggest temptations is just to fill any spare time with podcasts or news things or whatever it might be. Um, just to kind of feel like my mind is being constantly stimulated and it, but it kind of just leaves me restless and anxious whenever I fall into that. So, um, yeah, there's, we need that. We need time to process everything we're taking in. Um, just even sometimes after I'm doing ministry or something, or I've been with a bunch of people, there, I feel the temptation to immediately from walking away to jump into some kind of content or start listening to something. And I realize, like, no, actually, I just need to, like, be quiet for at least 10, 20, 30 minutes just to, like, kind of appreciate what just happened. Maybe I was anointing someone, whatever it might be. And I just not just immediately um, kind of switch off my mind or, or to focus in on something else. So we need time to process things. We can only handle so much content where our lives are. We probably consume more content. I mean, definitely consume <laughs> more content than people throughout all of history have ever consumed just the amount of just words falling into our minds. So uh, to, to really process that on a deeper level and to reconcile it with all of our desires and what God wants to do in us, it's just going to take time and, and with actual silence. Yeah, I just want to say just a couple last words. And so that silence, entering into that silence, as I think Father Michael really helped illustrate with some of his examples, that is kind of the ultimate self-denial oftentimes that we need to train for. And so <clears throat> I don't see that in any way as being disconnected from fasting. For me, fasting has helped me enter into the silence, fasting from food. So I want to say a last thing about fasting from food. A hundred percent would definitely say with Father Michael, if you feel burdened or if you feel undue pressure, if you feel like you need to perform for God or you need to earn his love, um, by fasting, if that feels like that's your motivation, then don't do it. But I want to also say, I want to extend an invitation. If you feel excitement, if you feel your heart burn at the thought of, man, like, I want this. I want, I want to enter into this. I think I can enter into this by God's grace. Like that for me and my experience, that's the sign that God is calling me into a fast. And so I think that if you are feeling that now as you've been listening to this episode, um, that could be a sign that God's like definitely an invitation for you to jump on in. Yeah, with all this whole topic, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit at the beginning with Jesus's whole image of, of the new wine, is that so much of this only makes sense, just in big picture here, like so much of this only makes sense if you're really trying to go beyond like mediocrity or beyond the minimum. And I know like our podcast is called The Normal Christian Life, but we are convinced that like the normal Christian calling is actually very radical. Uh, you know, Christianity has been kind of domesticated, especially like in Western countries and in the modern world. And we kind of just, uh, we've gotten used to seeing the Christian life and actually all just moral life in general as a matter of like, 
obligation and duties. And so we look at our faith through the lens of obligation and duty. And when you do that, I mean, duty is important. Obligation is important. Like what's justly owed to God? What do we have to do? But when you, if that becomes your primary way you think about it, if it's about obligation, if it's not a love affair, if it's not like a a relationship with, with greater desires, then none, nothing that we're talking about is going to, is going to make any sense because, um, this is all about like how, like, I want to be a saint. I want to be a saint. I want to be like a great saint. I don't want to be normal, like a typical average mediocre. I'm not interested in that. And like my desires, uh, even sometimes in ways that are just inconvenient or they feel inconvenient to me. It's like my desire is just, I, I'm not going to be satisfied with that. So I want to go beyond that. And it's not because I want to be my, I want to be exalted. I just, I just hunger for that. I crave it. And I know as you start to learn about the spiritual life and, and uh, just take in the wisdom of the church, that it's like, this is what I have to do to get beyond myself, to get beyond my my petty desires or my, my attachments. It's just part of going beyond the minimum is to, to, to take a more serious look at asceticism, some of these practices and things, because I believe that there's so much more to experience. And that's what we've been talking about so far in all our episodes is like, there is much more than we often realize or that we know about than we tend to think about. And how do I open myself up to the more, not earn it, not just, like achieve some higher level of, of awesomeness. But how am I going to like, like Joe mentioned earlier with that image, like I'm going to, I need to let go more of the world if I want to cling more to God to pursue him in a deeper way. So just again, kind of putting it back in the big picture of uh, why kind of a, this more challenging confrontation with, with this theme of fasting and asceticism. Yeah. If we're going to be saints, just to circle back around to that, uh, uh, quote from St. Paul in First uh, Corinthians 9 he's talking about there's these runners how hard they run to receive the prize in a different translation in the RSV he says every athlete exercises self-control in all things and they do this to receive a perishable wreath or a crown it's like man I, I know I said this before but like just the investment people have in like the business world or athletes just to do an Ironman or something, which again is inspiring, but just the amount of investment, like why don't we even have even as much inspiration as that for our faith, let alone way more. Cause again, we're not winning a, a perishable crown. Like, do you know about any marathon runners from the 1800s? <laughs> like who's going to remember, you know, the people today in 500 years, like why is there not more investment? And, I'll, I'll just, I think my concluding point would just be really just the importance of discernment, particularly how Ignatius initially describes his conversion experience. Yeah, these lesser loves we have, these like idols we have, they're only going to be destroyed by greater loves, as my, my brother, Father Christopher, was saying. Just, again, feeling guilty and, and crappy by yourself is not going to get rid of those idols finding a greater love is going to accomplish that. So for St. Ignatius, he was attached to like these ideas of being maybe rich or wealthy, maybe kind of a ladies' man, being this really admirable knight, basically, courageous in war. And so he was reflecting on these romance novels, and it was exciting in the moment. This was his Netflix. (laughs) 
exciting in the moment, but then he felt empty afterwards. And then he reflected on, what if I was like St. Dominic? What if I was like these other saints? What if I gave myself more radically to follow Christ? And he felt this deeper peace and satisfaction. And so we have to pay attention to how things make us feel, which is why silence is important. Because it has to get to the point where living like a saint is actually desirable. Like that, to be a saint when you don't really want to be one, that is just a colossal, impossible amount of effort. Like, I feel like, yeah. So being a saint, and it could be the things of more extended times in prayer, more self-denial, more simplicity, like this has to become attractive because it's not going to work otherwise. So how is it going to become attractive? It's through discernment. It's like, hey, actually, I know it's like the just the thing that's on repeat like a broken record like gotta gotta have tv gotta have this like whole gotta watch my series you know whatever it is or just gotta 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 have dessert after every meal gotta have dessert otherwise i'll explode or die i don't know (laughs) and it's like and like you you do these things it's like wow when i actually indulge myself a lot i'm like fatigued i have brain fog i don't feel like doing anything And then when you do things like fasting, it's like, there's a challenge, but it's like, wow, it's so beautiful to have my mind more focused on God and not just to be thinking about food all the time. And then it becomes desirable. And so just to continue just to really discern and really listen on a deep level, how is it that these maybe more worldly things are they actually really that satisfying? Are they actually that nourishing? And then when we take time to pray, take time for silence, reflection, scriptures, spiritual conversations, seeing that these things really fulfill us. So that's my concluding thoughts. So unless there's anyone else, I'll close this in a prayer. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are the new wine. You've come to give us freedom, joy, love, all these all these <laughs> signs that are evident in an earthly wine that you come to give us in a far greater measure and a far uh, more pure fashion. Uh, the, the new wine of of yourself, the new the, the new wine of your presence. So, Lord, help us to just desire. Uh, a life of of self-denial, a a life of self-mastery, not for the sake of of being tough, not for the sake of performing or earning your love, but that we would have the disciplines, we'd have the habits, we'd have the space uh, in our hearts and minds just to receive more of you, that we wouldn't be just distracted by these other passing things. We wouldn't be uh, just so enslaved to our our self-reliance and to our isolating thinking patterns to our self-indulgence, but that we would live as as men and women who are truly free, especially for anyone listening to this in a time of Lent. We ask that this Lent would just be transformative, uh, that, that we would be generous. We'd be generous with our, our Lenten practices, that we'd be intentional and help us to know that when you ask us to carry the cross that we do as you did 
which is you carry the cross for the joy set before you. So at the at the other side of of self denial, of fasting, of time and silence, of a greater withdrawal from the noise, there's the joy. Uh, there's a joy of being in communion with you. There's a joy of living as free men and women. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless everyone. Amen. Amen.